Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It is August 28th, 2023. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and he is joined by Nick from the Houston Outpost. And Nick, we're back. We're back. And we said we're not going to say a damn word until the steel men show us that they're worth saying words about. And it turns out they're the greatest team in the NFL. And this is the most... Um, anticipated podcast for us in a while, uh, given the fact that, no, we didn't have a, a policy uh, related to Steelers. It's just a lot of life has gotten in the way of us being able uh, to get together for the podcast. Um, but it is kind of a beautiful thing that we come back um, with a very fun episode to do, given the fact that the Steelers just had the most exciting preseason we've probably watched since the what was it, 2015, the first year when the Killer Bees were about to be very good. You know, Le'Veon had just completed his rookie year, and it, it started becoming apparent that that team was about to be an absolute juggernaut. Um, and it feels almost even better now, <laughs> given the fact that it feels like the Steelers have wandered the desert for five years. And obviously, the Steelers' version of wandering the desert is you know, having a winning record every year being in the playoffs or one game out or whatever it is. But we know the preseason is the preseason, but uh, I think we'll spend a lot of this episode talking about why um, claiming that you can't tell anything about a team from a preseason is kind of a foolish way to go about it because there's a ton to be excited about as a Steelers fan, and there's a ton for you and I to be excited about getting to do the pod. You've argued about this many times on social media. Can't we have a little fun? And let me just say, Nick and I were just back in the homeland. We were back in Pittsburgh over the last two weeks. I had an opportunity to go to a couple of bars, maybe. Uh, One is the Pleasant Bar in Pleasant Hills, the P-Bar. And uh, another one was Duke's down in Homestead. And it was an interesting interesting visit. So I'm at the bar, and I heard a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Steeler talk at the bar. And the guy sitting next to me at the first bar just couldn't find enough things to be upset about with the Steelers. And I just look at him like, can we just have five minutes to imagine we can get to the Super Bowl this year? Why do we? I mean, you have a an embarrassment of riches. We were just listening to John Ledyard, who's on Substack now, talking about his his opinion is that the Steelers could be the deepest team in the NFL right now. It was a joy to hear John Ledyard say that because he's one of the best football minds out there. Longtime Steelers podcaster, former host of the Locked On Steelers podcast. That's Chris Carter's podcast now, right? Right, and I think he's a big fan of our show. Sure. Who isn't? You know, humbly. 
Um, that being said, we're joking. Um, yeah, and John also founded the Draft Network, which is the best source for any draft news. And I think a lot of Steelers fans get a little frustrated with him because he's a brilliant guy. He's kind of a serious guy. So he, at times, seems to have negative takes on the Steelers. And he's definitely been lower on them in the past few years, especially while he uh, moved to, I guess he moved to Tampa Bay. Or he was definitely covering the Buccaneers while Brady was there. So there wasn't a lot to be said. But he was very positive about the Steelers um, during their run with the Killer Bees was equally as sad as I was after that 2017 loss to the Jaguars. And uh, we're spending a lot of time on Ledyard, but hey, it's a, it's a no, great guy to follow, right? We're just saying it, there's uh, some better consensus out there uh, that the Steelers are a really good team. And uh, yeah, I every, every fan base is going to be negative on their team and the bar just constantly moves. We can talk about how angry the Steelers fans are about Mike Tomlin. Oh, is not having a losing season? Is that the bar now? And there's just a lot of people who clearly don't follow the league because you'd ask them, like, well, who, who do you want? Who's a good coach? Is Kyle Shanahan a good coach? Or if Kyle Shanahan were the Steelers coach, would you be running him out of town for not being able to win the big one, for getting to the Super Bowl? Not win? Like, there's always something, right? But I think when it comes to the Steelers preseason – there's a few things to focus on. One of those things is the individual performance of players, especially when you take into account what they've done in the past and, you know, what it looks like they've improved on individually. And then the second thing to take into account is we were just in the homeland. It's my first time flying into Pittsburgh in, mm, I don't know, many years since the Steelers played the Bengals and I got to see that game. Uh, with Le'Veon Bell with the stiff arm of doom. And right when I get off the plane, who do I see? I see Ryan Shazier. He's walking alone in the Pittsburgh airport, unperturbed, undisturbed by anybody. And I realize I have an opportunity to break my rule whenever I see a celebrity, which is just let him be. I'm realizing we're going to have a moment where I can just pass him discreetly, dap him up and tell him, thank you, sir. You're the man. And that's what I did. And of course, guys, Jack does all get out. He's walking with a limp, but he's walking fantastic. Honestly, looks like he could play right now. Huge smile. Dap right back to me. Thank you, man. Just totally genuine, totally gracious. Exactly what you'd expect from Ryan Shazier, but I think the people should know that. Absolute stud. And clearly, that's an omen that the Steelers are fantastic. So we can talk about performance. We can talk about Shazier. Look, I just wanted to open up, since I just listened to Ledger's podcast, I want to open up the aperture. Um, there's a lot more to talk about, and let's let's zone in on some specifics. But, I mean, sure. you you have to feel good overall about the depth, something we've worried about on the offensive line. We got lucky last year. Um, defensive line, obviously, sort of across the board. And they've also a- answered my big question on defense. So I think, um, but why don't we start where everything should start, and that is with the quarterback. So... Yeah, you got to start with the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. That's the, the when you talk about the Steelers, there's three topics: quarterback, coordinator, and offensive line. I think the national media has been behind the reality of the Steelers' offensive line, and I think it's been justifiable since the Steelers have been such a boring team to watch, even when they're winning eleven games in a row. They're the worst eleven in a row team in history, and look, there was truth to that. We knew that the team wasn't that great, and and they looked horrific at the end of that season. But at the same time, the Steelers offensive line looked so horrific in the preseason last year. And then by game one, they're fine. 
There was no point last year where Kenny or Mitch was under duress. And furthermore, after that bye last year when the Steelers team changed dramatically, they're running for 150 yards a game. Nobody could stop them. did not matter who their opponent was. So I think the perception of the Steelers line has been off. And they've upgraded it tremendously with one of the best guards in the entire NFL, Isaac Siamalu, who dominated in the preseason. Not only is one of the most talented best guards, but according to Jason Kelsey, the future Hall of Fame center for the Eagles, he's one of the smartest players too. So now you have really a top-tier set of guards with James Daniel and Isaac Siamalu. You have uh, center, Mason Cole, who's kind of an average guy, good leader, good vocal guy, who gets propped up by two great guards. And then you have two tackles who haven't totally maxed out their talent yet, not saying that they're going to be stars, but what I mean to say is with Chooks and Moore, they, there's reason to believe that these third and fourth round pick guys can take a step forward this year. And guess what? They were fine last year. There was never a Mike Adams situation. It wasn't, you know, even Zach Banner was pretty rough at different points when it's just a total liability. Yes, they have their moments where they miss, but they've shown over a full game season that they're completely serviceable tackles. And then there's the obvious Broderick Jones is, is waiting in the wings and we'll see where he goes. And then they brought in Nate Herbig. So they got depth there. They got, they have depth. And I guess I, I got caught on the tangent about John Ledyard at the beginning uh, just because I wanted to shout out a good writer, but you mentioned him talking about the Steelers having depth. P. Butch and I have been talking about this for a whole summer, and we started talking about it a little bit last year, and it's because Omar Khan brought in these great value free agents, right? And so there's the offensive line perspective. Very rarely does a team go deep there. Steelers obviously just traded Kevin Dotson for a fourth-round pick. Look, that's the Chase Claypool trade all over again at a lower level. They were about to lose Kevin Dotson for nothing, and they got a fourth-round pick from a team that was desperate for offensive linemen in the Rams. But if we don't want to bury the lead here, you mentioned you got to start with the quarterback. Um, hand up, again, for anybody who's listening to the podcast or who has listened for a long time, I was not thrilled with the pick, with the selection of Kenny Pickett when it happened because, on one hand, it's hard to go from the talent of Ben Roethlisberger to any other quarterback. But it's also difficult when you look at a guy like Kenny Pickett, who objectively, this isn't a subjective question. He objectively, physically, is going to be on the lower end of the spectrum of quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, that doesn't mean he has an actively weak arm. No, just most of the quarterbacks have freak arms now. His, you know, he's 6'2", okay, good enough size. Arm, okay, good enough arm. Running, turns out that was a little bit better than we even thought it was. Um, but everything was kind of like an average trait, right? Okay, well, I said it a number of times during last season. He was proving me wrong in front of my eyes because I guess he just does have that, the leadership, the adult quality, the confidence, and the fact that all of it is very effortless. He does have a lot of Joe Burrow qualities. He just doesn't have that one thing Joe Burrow has of like, well, two things. Joe, Joe has like a cocky attitude to him. Um, which probably serves him well. And Joe is hyper-aggressive downfield. We're about to see if, you know, Kenny has or not. And Joe has been hyper-aggressive with bad lines at LSU and, or in, and in Cincinnati. So we'll see where Kenny goes there. But they both really rise to the top in terms of, man, these guys are composed. Then it turns out Kenny's more of a playmaker. 
And what we're seeing in this offseason is the one question we had for Kenny at the end of last year. We said, okay, he's a playmaker. You cannot deny how clutch he is, what a great leader he is. Those game-winning drives at the end of last year, those were huge. But can he play in the pocket? Because that has always been the biggest issue for any quarterback at the NFL level. But I feel now more than ever with quarterbacks, even the pocket passers, quote-unquote, everybody's mobile. Baker Mayfield can run a little bit, right? I mean, even Andy Dalton could run a little bit. Everybody can run. So what happens in college when the game is so spread out, they can get away with like, all right, I'm just going to scramble outside and make a throw on the run. In the NFL, as Kenny found out, when Roquan Smith for the Ravens chased him down and bounced his head off the turf like a basketball and concussed him, that was unfortunate. He found out, okay, you can't just constantly play outside of structure. You have to learn how to use that snake-like talent. You have to be a snake. You have to be a snake in the pocket. Step up in the pocket, go through reads, and then be able to deliver the ball this is where arm strength comes in, people. Arm strength isn't throwing it far. It's being able to throw it fast and accurately and not needing to always have your feet in perfect position. Sometimes guys are getting pushed into you. Like, I'll mention this in a second. Uh, you need to be able to play in that pocket, make throws. And oh my gosh, he has done it over and over again in the preseason. It was glorious. Just that whole shot he hit to Deontay Johnson um, on the third play of that Falcons game it was spectacular where he had a guy getting pushed right into him. So when that happens, these are things a lot of fans don't see. Okay, he's not getting sacked. He's not getting whacked. But some dude is right in the way of his foot where he needs to step forward to get power into his throw. He needs to find a way to make that step more compact and he needs to launch the ball with the fury of a thousand gods. And that's what he did. Beautifully, perfectly accurate. People aren't going to notice that during the game. They said, what a great throw to Deontay, hitting the hole. But he is reading the field. He is looking off safeties. And he is throwing the ball 30 yards down the field, 40, 50 yards, in a variety of ways. There's the gorgeous hole shot to Deontay. There's the awesome back shoulder touchdown pass to Pat Fryermuth in between Pro Bowl middle linebacker uh, Milano and safety Jordan, Jordan Poyer for the NFL darling Bills, right there. Gorgeous throw. There's the post pattern he throws to George Pickens, which is a laser beam 20, 30 yards down the field for the touchdown in the first game. And then there's the bomb where he's like, oh, well, George Pickens is one-on-one. I'm going to throw this far and high and perfectly accurately where Pickens is going to get it. Kenny, and you can watch the replays, and there's plenty of guys. You can look up Orlovsky. You can look up JT Sullivan or whatever his name is, the quarterback school online, and they'll slow these things down for you, and they'll replay it. You see him backing up, chilling in the pocket, looking off guys to throw another way, looking one, two, three, four, making reads. It's pretty uncanny what he's done, and when you look at the delivery of the ball, the thing that stands out to me is he is crazy accurate. He is sniping, and everything's a perfect spiral. So that, uh, that's kind of how I feel about Kenny. You can say all the things you want about the intangibles that we all say, but to me, this playing from inside of the pocket thing, I think is going to translate to the regular season, and there's plenty of examples of it in the preseason. And uh, wow, this is really exciting. I don't know how high his ceiling is. We've said for a long time, man, if he could turn into a Tony Romo, a massively underappreciated quarterback who played on a lot of crappy teams, 
similar to Kenny, like, okay, all the physical traits are, we'll mark them as good. Everything's B plus, nothing A plus, but damn, he just knows how to move inside that pocket and, and make plays. Kenny's on pace. So it's very exciting to see. So to wrap that up, I mean, Kenny's got, we knew he had composure last year. We need to see him under pressure, but he, you've seen some accuracy from, from him. He can go downfield. Um, I mean, what other test does he need to pass? Yeah, that's a good question. It's just how much is he going to be able to do it versus, you know, starting talent? We get that. Yeah. Um, but here's – this is a perfect time to mention the preseason thing, right, Dad? Like people saying George Pickens caught that – oh, he caught it over a backup cornerback. Because George Pickens is six foot four with the 40-inch vertical and like an 11-foot – wingspan there are no corners who have that and furthermore we have an entire rookie season of highlights of him mossing whoever comes near him it doesn't the guy was all over him he's gonna catch that over Jalen Ramsey he's gonna catch that over Sauce Gardner that that is replicable so you got to see Kenny do that when uh, Deontay Johnson burned his cornerback for that whole shot that we mentioned Deontay has four years of film of doing that against every corner in the league. Yeah, we know he's annoying with random drops or, uh, you know, he'll run backwards and he'll do crazy things that he does not have to do. But there is plenty of tape. Again, this is not an opinion. This is a fact. This is, if you log all of his snaps, there is there are far more occasions of him, more than almost any other receiver in the league, beating his man. Doesn't matter who the corner is. So, those are irrelevant to preseason. Those guys beating their guys. Kenny making those throws, which were utterly perfect. They didn't have to slow down at all. He was George was able to high point it. Um, you talk about Fryermuth. He is actually literally getting covered by the two captain defenders for you know one of the top five defenses over the past few years. That is all. That has nothing to do with preseason. So, yes, we've gotten to see him do those things. Can he do it for an extended period of time? And here's the big one. And I think Ledyard did mention this on his podcast. You know, Matt Canada, we've mentioned, despite hating him, he has a bad reputation in the NFL as well, if you listen around enough. But there were more occasions to throw the ball down the field last year than Mitch or Kenny took, right? So there's a little bit more meat on the bone. What you do get nervous for, as I think John mentioned this, is when people start game planning for Canada. Because you don't game plan at all during the offseason. You're just trying to get players in the field. You're not trying to show too much. What we have to watch for, I think, with players is do they revert back to old habits when things aren't coming easily? Like Cam Newton's a big example of that to me. Like he had to work on his throwing motion every year before he would revert back to that weird sort of Uncle Rico throw he had. He had to constantly stay on top of that. Kenny, once teams are planning for Canada and they're taking away a lot, will he still be able to be disciplined in the pocket? And will he be able to be like, you know, uh, will he, how much will he be able to create on his own, which is kind of what, uh, you know, separates the big boys. But it uh, look, looks good. I don't know. Well, let's, let's go uh, through the position groups quickly. I think that, that because it does seem to me on offense, he may re- I don't even know what he would revert to at this point, right? There was that very short passing game. So was that Canada or was that Kenny Pickett? But there's so many weapons on offense. And you've gone through the offensive line. You've talked about the quarterback. I think the strength of this 
offense, you have to look at the wide receivers. The wide receivers are outrageous. So, and, and here's my thing with them. We have a sample size. Like Deontay Johnson is such an overly maligned player. We're a Deontay Johnson defender podcast because once again, it just feels like you're taking crazy pills because the results are objective. Yes, we acknowledge he's not Antonio Brown. <laughs> he, he misses balls sometimes, whatever. He's one of the best route runners in the NFL. He's one of the only players in the NFL who's a true outside receiver, which means he can beat his man. There's a ton of reliable stats that have come out this offseason. Of, he actually gets open kind of significantly more than any other isolated receiver in the NFL, including Jamar and, and Jefferson and all these guys. I am not saying he is as good as those players, but you have to understand that some of those elements of his game are, are, are elite level. So you have an elite boundary receiver. Well, I don't want to call him elite. A very good boundary receiver in Deontay Johnson. You have George Pickens, who is one of those examples of like, okay, he never gets open. Is he going to be able to, he can't keep doing this. You can't keep it. He's going to keep doing it. He's got the best hands in the NFL, probably, right? This, this isn't hyperbole. I'm not saying either one of them is Antonio Brown, but look at the catches that George Pickens makes. And when he snatches out of the air, he doesn't even bring it to his chest. He keeps it above his head, which is that sort of sign of, oh my gosh, this guy's hands are absurd. So you got two phenomenal outside receivers. You have another sort of Jericho Cotri, late career Heinz Ward, and Allen Robinson, who's a phenomenal slot receiver. Some of the other best hands in the NFL. Extremely reliable player. They brought him in and said, he was much better than he looked on the Rams last year. He's going to play our big slot role. And all he's done in the preseason, if you're following training camp, he's done exactly that. He's a first-down machine. And then Calvin Austin, we don't know yet, but that's about as good a preseason as you could want from a player who missed his rookie season. But again, he was beloved by the scouting community when he came out in the draft because he's a short guy. Everyone thinks they usually play slot. No, this is an outside receiver. He's incredibly fast. First preseason game, 67-yard touchdown. Second preseason game, 55-yard punt return. Third preseason game, like a 30-yard punt return to put the Steelers in scoring position. Also, uh, Alex Cazora charted all of his catches over the course of camp, countless 30, 40, 50-yard plays, right? And you watch the tape, they said, well, at Memphis, he was really good at getting off the line. Well, looks like he still is in the NFL. So very encouraging to have a player like that. And then, you know, behind him, I guess you have uh, Boykin. I don't, you know, special teams value, but... Regardless, you look at those pass catchers, it's an incredible group. Uh, it's just deep. Again, they just have so many options and guys who have played in NFL games and produced. What do you think is going to happen at running back this year? What is, I mean, obviously um, you're going to have Najee and Jalen Warren, who seems to be just climbing the ladder. And I don't know, Anthony McFarlane sort of backing those guys up. What do you see this year? I think uh, people just need to get their head around the fact that the Steelers have had a plan for this all along. And Jalen Warren has just made the plan much better because he fell into their laps. Najee Harris is the starting running back, and he's getting 20 to 25 touches per game. They need to do a better job of utilizing him in the pass game. But I think people are having a hard time of getting the stench of the first half of last year. Uh, from Najee out of their nostrils and they forgot that over the second half of the year he was once again dominant he was a spectacular rookie behind 
the worst offensive line we've ever seen, right? So I do think people are tremendously underrating Najee Harris right now, um, but it's going to be a duo. It's going to be a duo. Run, Najee's going to get more touches, um, and, but Jalen, I think they realize like they can't put him in the role that they had D'Angelo Williams in when he, when Le'Veon was there, which is like, wow, D'Angelo is really good, but there's kind of no reason to take Le'Veon off the field, so we'll give D'Angelo three carries a game. I think the Steelers are realizing you need to give Jalen Warren 10 carries a game. But I really like this strategy because Warren, he's a durable player. He does something that not a lot of these Steelers players can do, which is run for a 60-yard touchdown. He uh, He's a very good running back. He's a starting running back. But he is small. He's small. And I don't like taking the chance of exposing those guys to 16 games worth of hits. And Najee, I really think they brought him in to be Jerome Bettis and to be a lesser Le'Veon Bell in the fact of like, this man is gigantic. You can't appreciate it until you see it on the field. And last year when he got a little healthy at the bye and he remembered to run forward, you see what this dude can do in terms of wearing down a defense, particularly for a Steelers offensive line that we said, hey, it's underrated, but it's not super talented. They got by running last year by bludgeoning people. They're an annoying team. It's not a, a ton of movement in that run game, it is just smash people until they die. And Najee is our, probably the best running back at just that kind of thing in the league. Because Derrick Henry's not a power back. He's a he's a home run hitter. And then, of course, you have the super elite guys like Nick Chubb, where it's like, yeah, if, if he wanted to just power people, he could, he could kill them. But he also can run for ADR touchdowns, so he does that. But I think they really have a thunder and lightning combo, and they're going to ride both of them. And they're incredible. And then Anthony McFarlane, he's kind of one of my guys that you know I loved as a rookie. He clearly improved tremendously this preseason. He improved in the one area that he really needed, which is, again, like run straight, don't fall down when you get the ball. Because he's Luis Mendoza from Mighty Ducks. He's fast as hell, but he can't change speeds, and he can't slow down, and he can't stop. And so he kept running into himself into trouble because – He's one of the fastest running backs in the whole league. And I, and I keep saying that on this podcast, right? One of the, in the whole league. And it's not hyperbolic. Like you can make those comparisons. But with McFarland, like I said, I would really need to see it to believe it in a regular season because there's just been nothing from him. Like he'll have a long run. You'll say, look at that. That guy's insanely fast. But we've just seen nothing from him. But Connor Hayward got a carry the other day. The man can run the ball. So they have, they have crazy depth at those positions. That's really exciting for running back. But they have a, a true thunder and lightning approach, and I think that's what they want to do because they're not smart enough to call kooky run plays. So just smash them. Let me make an observation that probably is kind of under the radar, and that is we've been talking about depth. I'm just looking at the tight end. So the Steelers' depth charge right now, chart right now is Fryermuth, Zach Gentry, Connor Hayward, and Darnell Washington. Who knows what, what are really shake out to be but just listen to those three names they all bring something really strong to the table and it feels like the Steelers have kind of an insane tight end room yeah I have no idea how they got Darnell Washington it reminds me so much of them getting George Pickens and Martavis Bryant a few years back where it's like, I guess there's like a behavior thing or there's an injury at the wrong time and then the NFL lets these 
megastars slide to the Steelers. So the rotation is Fryermuth, and it will be Washington, and he'll be playing a lot. And then you have uh, Gentry is like, okay, great. We have a B.J. Finney at tight end. He's not particularly great at catching. Not particularly great at blocking, but he's an experienced veteran. He's a big guy, and he'll put his face in the fan. And then Hayward is just he's a pass, he's a playmaking machine. He's and a platypus. So he is a platypus. <laughs> and they have to stick him somewhere, and they put him a tight end. I don't I don't see him as a blocking tight end, but because he, he's a blocker, he can do a million different things. And I don't even want to call him a Swiss Army knife. That's so overused. But the guy's right. so versatile. He's the only one I can really remember, like actually being a Swiss Army knife that way. Um, if he were a, a really good blocker or if he were a little bigger, he'd be a full-time starter at one of the other positions. But it's just another playmaker to have on the field. So that's kind of one of those things that I'm a little concerned about, like with Canada. Are you going to know how to put a guy like Connor Hayward or Calvin Austin on the field without the entire defense putting the red alert up? Like, okay, if this guy's getting the ball, like with Dre Archer or Chris Rainey, when the Steelers have those certain players where, hey, like if you get the ball in their hands, they can go. They kind of they're not like polished route runners. They're not running backs, but like if you get the ball to them, they can go. And over the years with Feetner and 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 uh and uh this guy in particular, with Matt Canada, it it's annoyingly obvious when Gunnar Orschlevsky gets on the field, for some reason they consider him like an offensive weapon. You know he's getting the ball. So that's how they'll have to play with Connor Hayward. Um, because he's he's not gonna come in there and just be an inline blocker, but he, this guy's an incredible playmaker. You've seen it, again, from his rookie season and in the preseason. So he's been awesome. So, Nick, just to wrap up the offense, last year the Steelers were scoring 18 points a game. You have a, that's bad. You want to throw something out there? I mean, Kansas City was scoring 29. Maybe that's not a good comparator. But where do you think the Steelers will be this year? I think that they'll be around 21. And, I, you know, 21, 22 points per game. And, you know, again, yeah, remind people, the Chiefs are at 29. They're not at 40, like the way it feels. But, you know, I have the number of 24 in my head uh, for the Steelers, but I think that they'll be kind of uh, working around that. I I just, you know, knock on wood for health. So far, so good. But that's really what great NFL teams do is they have an ability to throw a guy in if someone's going to miss a game or two. And, and not really miss too much of a beat. And so I think the Steelers have that. And I just think that there's too many players for defenses to match up with. Sure. It's, so that puts them in the upper third in scoring if, the, if this is last year. Now, I know people right. believe in jinxes, but I, I'm going to ask you, what is the injury that really sets back the offense? Um, it's a yeah, five-game. I don't even it's, know if I can answer it. I almost don't want to say I don't even want to. I don't even want to. Uh, bring that up uh, for the There's jinx no as well, but it's thing. kind of arrogant, isn't it, to think that you can jinx it? But people might get yeah, mad. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm sort of I'm speaking to the depth of the offense. Even even Kenny, um, he's not proven. He's had a great, he, he had an, you know, he finished Precited. well last yeah, year. He had he a great preseason. Yeah. What do you, this isn't like, we were, when TJ, I mean, you talk about evidence. Look at last year when TJ was gone. Yeah. Every measure decreased over the period of his absence. Do you have that again this year if somebody leaves on offense? I think every NFL team has that. So if the Browns don't have Nick Chubb or Amari Cooper, they're way worse. If the uh, Ravens don't have Zay Flowers, it looks like he's gonna be, they're going to be significantly worse. You know, the Steelers don't have Deontay Johnson. They don't 
really have anybody else who can just run routes and get open from any position. But another thing I will say, what I've been encouraged to see uh, from Matt Canada was moving these guys around. Deontay's played inside, he's played in the slot, he's played outside. Uh, and same with George Pickens. I just didn't expect to see him in the slot and certain reps like that. And so that was fantastic to see. And uh, yeah, I just think that the Steelers are very versatile. And um, I, I don't know if Matt Canada has the the skill to really change. Like if you had to have a guy, if a guy had to miss a game, there's part of me that says you should, you know, if you're missing a critical piece of the run game, go more pass heavy and then vice versa. I don't know if he'll be able to do that or not. Even Todd Haley struggled with that. Like when the Steelers would go run or pass heavy in a particular game. But um, yeah, incredible depth on the offense and incredible depth on the defense. All right, let's flip over to the the defense. I'm going to start with the defensive line. So what it looks like right now is Cam Hayward, Montrevious Adams, and Larry Ogunjobi, but backed up by um, Isaiah Loudermilk, um, DeMarvin Leal, Keanu Benton. Keanu Benton, who will be... Keanu Benton. Yeah, we'll see what's up with, with and Adams. And Bahoko. But Benton, yeah, and he, that's a nose tackle right there. But it's really, you're talking about, the guys you're excited about are, are Cam Hayward and uh, Keanu Benton, who was spectacular during the preseason. 320 pounds, space eater, pushes people backwards. It's badass, right? Um, I think you back up, and, and without looking positionally, think of the Steelers like this. And again, go through every team. The Steelers have more blue chippers on defense than almost any other team. Like the 49ers are probably one of the only ones. But you got TJ Watt, Micka Fitzpatrick, and somehow Cam Hayward is still a blue chipper. And then right behind that, you got Alex Highsmith. So here's what I think of when I think of the Steelers defense. They got the number one edge rushing tandem in the league. And TJ Watt, obviously. And everybody listening to this podcast is likely a Steelers fan. So we all know who Alex Highsmith is and the trajectory his career has taken as he's gotten better and better every year. What was he like fifth in the NFL in sacks last year with 15? Again, look at the tape. Like, how is he getting the sacks? He's spinning around people. He's swimming. That He's doing all kinds of things. He is creating sacks on his own. So you have the best edge rushing tandem, the best safety. You have a really exciting interior with, with Cam um, and now this this Keanu Benton looking so good in the preseason is taking such a weight off my shoulders. It's it's uh, very encouraging to be able to go deep there. He might get pushed up the rotation into having to play more. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, he's been pretty injury-plagued uh, over the last few years, and he really hasn't played in the preseason. So that's one that worries me. But obviously, if he plays, he's a very good defensive lineman and like, like you said, you already pointed out, they have two waves of defensive lines for the first time in, I don't know, seven, eight years. It's been a very long time. So when you look at that, you say, wow, they're going to, they have such a good edge rushing tandem. Well, guess what? They probably not only have the best edge rushing tandem in the league, but if the new potential superstar fan favorite, Nick Herbig, turns out playing the way he did in the preseason, which I don't see. Uh, any reason why he would not be, given how consistent he's been. The Steelers have the best edge rushing backups in the league with Malik Golden, who's been great in every backup role or semi-starting role he's had. He's been great in the preseason. And Herbig seems to be a revelation. It's a guy like, well, he's small. If he were bigger, he'd be a first-round pick. You look at him play, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Even TJ didn't have that level of bend around the edge coming in. Even 
TJ didn't have the arsenal of pass rush moves. The guy is super talented. So finally, you will be able, in the first time in like 15 years, <laughs> not, not quite, there have been moments where there have been some depth. I mean, Melvin Gordon was on the Steelers for four and a half days. But you finally can sub out TJ and uh, Highsmith and then Cam Hayward on the interior because typically over the last 10 years, the Steelers defensive linemen and edge rushers have played at the highest rate in the NFL. Those starters are, are called on to, to play a lot. This is like that unseen football stuff that we don't gravitate towards as fans, but the rotation of defensive line and offensive line. And we talked about this for the whole year last year with Eric Weidel coming over as a GM or a you know, general manager's assistant from Philly. That's what Philly does. And they've Philly has done it twice. They did it with the Nick Foles team, and then they did it again with this current you know, Jalen Hurts team. So incredible depth and incredible star power, not to mention the fact that the Steelers got rid of an entire middle linebacker room and got three guys who are very solid starters. Not superstars, but very solid starters. And when you look through the preseason at Cole Holcomb, Alandon Roberts, and Quan Alexander, they do one thing that the Steelers have been missing for years. It's basically three Vince Williamses. They are missiles. They launch themselves into the backfield. They launch themselves into pulling guards. They launch themselves into running back, and they hit the crap out of people. There's only a few linebackers in the league who are really going to be able to turn around and cover. So, you know, they're not going to be incredible at that but they blow up the run game. They have aggression. And, you know, when you got a guy like Quan uh, Alexander, he also talks crap. It just feels like having like three Vince Williams is back there. And they've been phenomenal uh, in the preseason. And the Steelers haven't really had one reliable inside linebacker since Ryan Chazier. So those are the exciting parts of the defense, obviously with Minka sitting behind them. All right. So we feel good about the defensive line. I mean, that, that was solid, but it feels like it's been uh... – they developed some depth, but the, the linebackers were just such a question mark. This is a complete turnover. It's incredible what Omar Khan has done this offseason in value signings like that. They made a deep team. They signed Allen Robinson and Quan Alexander and Landon Roberts and Cole Holcomb. These aren't like sexy signings, but these are guys when you look at be like, oh, yeah, I guess they're like five-year starters. Oh, I guess they're an eight-year starter. Like this is a good player, and they were still productive last year. So you're getting starter quality guys so that you don't have to worry about having some gaping hole. I mean, even the Killer Bees team had way more big holes than this team. Now, you had superstar for first ballot Hall of Famers kind of, you know, booing that whole thing. And that's why, like, I think when you look at the Steelers, you compare their roster to the Chiefs, you compare it to the Bengals, I think the Steelers roster is deeper. Again, you can go position by position but you got Joe Burrow you got Mahomes you got Reed and then for Burrow you have these insane receivers that's how the game's played that gives you a bigger boost but you know if Kenny and and Matt Canada can do well the depth is crazy it's so rare the Steelers are just at a point in their lifespan this is what I think is important to look at before I mention the corners which are you know not not great for the Steelers they're the point in their lifespan where it's time to strike. And we said this after they drafted Najee and Fryermuth, which was very disappointing at the time, given how badly the Steelers needed offensive linemen. And everybody talks about how, you know, Creed Humphrey, superstar center, was drafted long after that. They could have got him, they needed a center, yada, yada, yada. But the NFL goes in like three to four year stints. And 
when your contracts go up and you need to pay your quarterback, you can't make all these signs. You can't sign three new inside linebackers. And the Steelers never could do that when they had been, right? And the, uh, the Chiefs can't do it right now. And neither can the Bengals. Also, what happens when your team gets really good, you have holdouts. You know, Chris Jones and Nick Bosa for the Chiefs and the Niners, best defensive players in the league right now, they're both holding out. They haven't been in their training camp. It's just part of the process. We remember the drama with the with the Killer Bees team of how hard it was to keep together eventually. So the Steelers right now have so many guys on rookie contracts and like veterans on manageable free agent contracts that they've created a, a swarming army. And they just have so many guys who are reliable. And then, okay, what does that do for you if they're reliable? Well, if you get a couple superstars, that can really prop them up. Okay, DJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward, George Pickens potentially, you know, a crazy running back duo. It's really encouraging. And, yep, the corners, Patrick Peterson is 40 years old. I know he played well last year. Uh, You know, I think that that guy was signed more to to lead the back end. I'm still surprised about Cameron Sutton. Levi Wallace, very solid starter. Joey Porter Jr. looks like he's going to get a bigger piece of the pie, and there's a little battle in the slot. Shannon Sullivan, it's not a great corner group, but no team in the NFL has – uh, good at every single group and if you don't have a great corner group you better have a great pass rush oh look at that they do and you better have a great safety oh look at that they have the best one so there's nothing to be uh, unhappy about I'm really excited about the Steelers just being watchable let alone the fact that hey if things break right for them and the most competitive AFC ever or at least you know 20-30 years if things break right they have more good players than some of these other teams All right, yeah, awesome. that's a good, good way to punctuate it. And um, as we wrap up here, the Steelers open with San Francisco. Sorry, I'm going to get the exact. So September 10th, 1 p.m. game at Acrashore Stadium, San Francisco. What, what do you think? I mean, what, what do you think about San, San Francisco coming into town and how we're going to compete there? So if there's ever been a time to play the 49ers, it's now. Because, like I mentioned, their superstar defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa, has not been in camp while he's holding out for a contract that I'm sure he'll get any day now. But I'm trying to think back to what TJ did when he didn't get a contract until the day before, but at least he was like at camp. I'm not sure if Nick's holding it or not. But he hasn't played, so that is helpful. We do know that that's helpful. Also, Brock Purdy, their quarterback, he is coming off elbow surgery. He's looked great in the preseason. But he is coming off elbow surgery, and you are throwing him out there against the Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. Also, I think Darnold will be great for them, but he's never played in a regular season game, and it's in Pittsburgh. So all those factors, when you combine them also with the fact that last year the Steelers beat the Bengals in Cincinnati in the first week. That's like one of the two or three best teams in the NFL, three or four best teams in the NFL. The year before that, they beat the Bills in the first week. And none of those games were pretty, but the Steelers are a lot better than that now. Um, so I think this is as good a time as any to play the Niners. And I, I do think I'm going to pick the Steelers to beat them narrowly. Uh, that being said, the Niners terrify me as a Steelers fan. I do think that the Niners and the Eagles have the best rosters in the NFL. It is insane. When you talk about Steelers got a lot of blue chips, uh, the, the Niners have more. They, they are insane. They <laughs> 
a superstar tight end. They have two superstar receivers because people forget about Brandon Ayuk. They have a superstar running back. I'm talking myself out of the win here. They have the best middle linebacking core in the league. Like, guys just head and shoulders above. Great secondary. Incredible defensive line. Like We got TJ. They got Nick Bosa. It's pretty tough. So, And Kyle Shanahan has shredded the Steelers over, over, over and over again. I think the last time the Steelers played him, that was Minka's first game, and he had, like, three interceptions and, like, a couple forced fumbles. He was incredible. But they marched the ball up and down the field on the Steelers so easily. And I, I do think that they pulled out the win. I can't remember, but I just remember the Steelers not being able to stop them whatsoever. But the Steelers are a lot better now. So um, what I say with, with Pittsburgh Steelers teams, the number one threat to a Steelers team through Bill Cowher, through Mike Tomlin, is a super elite quarterback pocket passer with a super elite offensive coordinator. And so that's not the, the Niners game. And it's going to be a little tricky playing such an exotic run scheme in game one. Um, but if the Steelers can win this one, that makes a huge difference for their, for their season. That would be a, an unbelievable win week one. The Niners are better than the Steelers. The Niners are incredible. Um, but this is the time to play them. So let me just uh, say to the audience that you and I, this, this is a little unusual, we are targeting the Houston Texan game on October 1st. So you live in Houston I'm going to try to get down there. We're going to get, try to get tickets. If anybody in the audience is down there, whether you're going to the game or not, and you'd like to get, get together for a beer before or after the game, we'd love to hear from you. The other thing is that we have we are also trying to target a home game, and we'd like to do the same thing, but we'll let you know as we get closer to um, actually acquiring tickets and, and going to the game. But we would like to, to meet you and hang out, have a beer. Nick's buying, which is yeah. always great. Oh, yeah mayor of houston down here but we're really we're, we're glad to be back we're going to get back into this cadence now that uh the regular season is starting so hit us up on x at steelers outpost or shoot us an email at steelers outpost at gmail.com thanks for listening until next week go steelers it's okay bye-bye